So Colossians 1, we're reading just from 9 to 14. For this reason, Paul says, for this reason, the reason that this church has started, it's grown, it has faith, hope and love. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father God, we thank you for these um, great and wonderful truths, for the masses that is packed into this short um, thanksgiving of Paul. We pray, Lord, you'll uh, impress it on our hearts this morning by your spirit, we pray that we will understand, not just in our heads, but with our guts, in our very souls, and it will make a difference to the week that comes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder whether you ever feel like a, a second-class Christian. I wonder if you ever feel like there's something missing in your Christian life. Or do you feel maybe just that your view of God is a bit dim? Well, sometimes you, you, you're not qualified to be one of God's people at all. If they, any of those describe you, you've come to the right place this morning, um, and we've come to the right book. All these things are dealt with in the book of Colossians, and they're dealt with in this passage this morning. This is part of Paul's opening greeting. Uh, it was standard to have a thanksgiving at the opening of, of your letter, so it's part of his opening greeting, but already he's laying out his thesis, where he, wants, uh, where he wants this to go and what he wants the Colossians to understand. And as we said last time, the answer uh, to a feeling that you don't know God very well is not just try harder, nor is it meet me round the back with some secret information. Okay. It is neither of those things. It is much simpler than that, and it centers on Jesus. Much simpler than that, it centers on Jesus. So some churches, and I don't like talking about other churches, but some churches, some denominations will sound a little bit like, sometimes like that latter one. Meet me around the back for something secret. They tell you you've become a Christian, but now you need something more. And it might be they call that the baptism in the Holy Spirit or something like that. They might say you need an ecstatic experience. And the evidence of that experience and that you've grown and that you've moved to the next level is that you will speak in tongues. In other words, languages that are unknown or known languages from around the world. And let's be clear that these churches have much that is right. Okay, typically, typically they have a passion. They have a desire to know God personally and experientially. And you should want that. Typically, they want to be on fire for God, and you should want that too. They want to see God do supernatural things, and I think you should want that too. But by insisting on an extra experience or some kind of something which comes close to an initiation, then they're coming close to this mistake 
that might be happening in, Col in Colossae. Certainly the Colossians are under pressure from a group of people who say this kind of things. And I don't think this is the normal route for Christian growth. I've had ecstatic experiences of God, which I'm grateful for. But when I look back, they didn't leave me a lasting legacy. They encouraged me. They encouraged me at the time, but they haven't equipped me in the long term. So let's go back. I've had one group experience uh, with a group of people of, of, the, of the overwhelming holiness of God, which I've told you about before, for which I'm thankful. And I think that did leave more of a lasting impression. Telling you a secret, I speak in tongues in private. At least I think it's tongues. It might just be gibberish. But it's helpful when I've run out of words to express my feelings to the Lord. It is a useful tool. And it's not a sign that I'm more spiritual than anybody else. Maybe it's actually a sign that I'm less spiritual. Because I can't find the words to say. I've seen the Lord do supernatural things. Now and again. Healing. But also, of course, people coming to know him for the first time, that's always a supernatural thing. But the background to all those things, Christian growth, it's not really in any of those things. The process of Christian growth sometimes looks a bit mundane. It looks much more like the content of Paul's thanksgiving here this morning. So we want to take a look. I want to take a look at, at this half of, of uh, Paul's prayer. So he started in verse uh, 3. We always thank God. And then in verse 9, for this reason, we have not stopped praying for you. We have not stopped praying for you. Why? Because the church have made a good start in their Christian faith. This is a church that's less than 10 years old. Um, they have faith uh, love and hope we saw that last time and Paul puts him in a slightly unusual order it's the hope um, and hope is a fact not a feeling hope is a future not a feeling um, and they're energized by that hope that's energizing their faith in Jesus and it's energizing their love for one another and so since he heard about them so Paul didn't plant this church he's not stopped praying for them he has not discontinued prayer. He has continually, notice, asked God to fill them. He has continually asked God to fill them. But he's not asked that they be filled with the Holy Spirit. He can see that when they became Christians, they received the Holy Spirit because they've got faith, hope and love. And the church is not planted by Paul, it's planted by Epaphras. But this is the question. What is the, what is the reason for this church um, thriving and, and growing and having faith, hope and love? Has it as much to do with Paul's prayer as it has to do with Epaphras' church planting? And you can argue that. <clears throat> except when we get to the end we realise that Epaphras has been wrestling in prayer for them too and what I want you to think about is that there can be real ministry to people in physical absence 
It can be a real powerful ministry to people in physical absence. And you could have exactly this kind of ministry. Nothing, nothing stopping you. You could have this kind of ministry in this country and across the world. All you need is some information. That was all that Paul needed. He needed a report of what was going on in Colossae. Gets the report. He gets down to prayer. And he prays that they will be filled. And we'll find out what they're filled with in a minute. And for you, you don't need somebody to have come a distance um, hand-delivering a letter. For you, it's as easy as trawling the net or picking up the phone. In fact, you have the opposite problem to Paul. Uh, Paul, it would take him a long time to get the information. You have a, the opposite problem. You've got too much information. Uh, you need to be discerning. But you could have this kind of ministry for one of our mission partners, for Rio and Renata, for, for Open Doors, for um, Sam and Abby, uh, for Stephen and Lucy. You could have this kind of ministry, this this, uh, this impact on the world through them. And it's lovely, we just had Rio's prayer letter, and he always says that what is happening, uh, the reaching of Muslim background believers in Indonesia is a ministry of Stains Khan. And it is, but it shouldn't be just because we give, it should be because we pray too. So Paul prays because he, can have, because he can have an impact. That's the reason for the prayer. He can impact this church in prayer. And the other reason is because they've made a good start and he wants them to carry on. Now the content of the prayer is this. Paul prays that the Colossians Christians will be filled, but his prayer is that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I think this translation in the... The later NIV, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, I don't think that really brings any extra clarity. Paul wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now that takes a bit of getting your head round. Interesting comparison with Ephesians 1, and it may be that Ephesians and uh, Colossians go with Tychicus. He takes both these letters, so they may have gone at the same time just to different people. And in Ephesians, Paul says, with all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will. So we've got at least three of those words are the same. With all wisdom and understanding, that's God's wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth in unity under Christ. So part of knowing God's will is understanding the big picture. Part of understanding God's will is knowing the big picture, knowing the grand plan that God wants to bring everything in heaven and on earth under the, the headship of Christ. And Paul wants the Colossians to have a knowledge of this. And this knowledge is, is not just a head knowledge. This is, a, this is a, a gut level knowledge. Paul wants them to get the gospel. He wants them to get it down here. I don't know where you feel stuff. Uh, I kind of feel, I have a very strong sense of a gut feeling. I feel things in my gut. I don't want to th just know things in my head. I want to know it in my gut. In other words, I want to know it in that place which drives uh, my emotions and my thinking and, and, and my behaviour. And Paul wants them to get the gospel uh, at a gut level. Now, one of the uh, books that I read puts it like this. 
It says you can have data. This applies to all subjects, but let's apply it to the Bible. You can have data. You can have biblical data. You can know that Jesus met a blind man. You could know that Paul went to Athens. You could know that King David had a, uh, a son called Solomon. You would have data. If you combine that, you start to have information. You could have a view uh, of Jesus' life. You could have a picture of Paul's missionary journeys. You could know the line of kings from King David and realize um, that Jesus is a descendant. But it all has to come together in in knowledge, and knowledge of of the gospel that centers on on Christ. Not a head-level knowledge. It has to come to this crux of knowing that Jesus died, and you can say, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. And then it has to work itself out. There's another level. It needs to work itself out into wisdom. Wisdom. What is the wise thing to do with my kids? (laughs) Why should I send them to school? What's the wise thing to do with my uh, finances? Where shall I go next in my job? What am I doing with my house? What's my retirement plan? These are things of, of, of wisdom. And so Paul is praying, really, I think, uh, for this knowledge uh, and understanding kind of level. He wants them to get the gospel, get the big picture of God, so that they're then able to work that out into everyday behavior and wisdom. And this is the kind of prayer, just to let you know, this is the kind of prayer that pastors pray all the time. This is the kind of prayer that pastors pray for their churches all the time. We want you to get it. And the effect of the prayer is this. So Paul prays this. He prays that they'll have understanding and wisdom so that they will live a life worthy and pleasing to the Lord. It's not, this knowledge is is never going to be um, theoretical. He wants them to get the gospel and he wants them to get it in such a way um, that they live it. They live a life worthy of Jesus. It brings pleasure to God. And the things that flow out of that are bearing fruit, bearing fruit in every good work. Not to try and earn his his favour. You can't earn your way into into God's good books. If you try, you'll only fail and you'll make yourself depressed. If you think about a a tree, then it it draws up sap and out out of the life that's in the tree, it grows fruit. If there's no life in it, you can't kind of press fruit out of the tree. He wants them to bear fruit in, it, in everyday life out of this gut level knowledge. So he wants them to know God, know that they loved so that something happens um, in everyday behavior. So where might that start? Where might that start? Where might the gospel, uh, you've understood Jesus died for you, you've understood um, God, God loves you uh, in, in Christ. Um, where's, that gonna, where's that flowing out? Where's that, where's that going? Um, in everyday behavior. We said with the kids, it might be um, in a situation of new people and you're the one that, that, that takes the frown off your face, puts the smile on and, and makes the first move. Might be as simple as that, mind it? I'm going to suggest that um, next time you're in the supermarket, you, you start with the checkout girl or boy. Okay. Smile. Okay. Be friendly. Some of them are desperate to talk to somebody because they've had an incredibly tedious day. Um, if they want to talk to you, talk back with them. 
say thank you as you go. That's about as basic as, why do I say that? Because if you can do that, then you, you've made a, you've changed your life. <laughs> you've changed your life because you've, you've changed your life from saying this time is important. My time is, my time is important. I need to get through this checkout as quickly as possible. I need to get on with my life. You've, you've changed from being self-centered to being other people-centered. So start with something. Start with something simple. How about be the cheerful person in the queue? Okay. I tried this this week and it backfired on me. But there you go. <laughs> I, went, I, I tried to be the cheerful person. I went to the post office. There was an older gentleman in front of me and he was shuffling. He was really struggling to make progress. Um, I, I just you know, gave him lots of space, lots of time. Um, I walked around the other way to join the queue, uh, and, and, um, and I said, you're in front of me. And he says, I oh, know. Um, I thought, OK. <laughs> um, I think he thought I was trying to queue jump by going around the back. And then there was a lady in front of both of us, and five, six, seven minutes, we were still there, phone calls, phone calls. She said, I'm so sorry. And I said, it's fine. Take your time. The problem about being the one who, who smiles and takes your time is then um, the, the older chap in front of me turned around and started complaining to me about her in, in front of me. So it, it but again, it, do you see what happens? You're trying to be other people-centered. You're trying to be other people-centered. Um, and what do you get? Other people say, oh, here's somebody who will listen to me. And they start complaining to you. Well, you should take that as a, as a sign you've done the right thing, I think, probably. But make it simple. Because today, this is what it's all about. I want you to put this into practice so that you know God better. Because the second things that happen. So if you get the gospel and you get it at a gut level, you start bearing fruit in good works. But the other thing you start doing is growing in the knowledge of God. And that's a strange thing. You might want your diagram on the back of your sermon notes at this point. So you know the gospel. You know it at this gut level. Um, and what happens is that as you put it into practice, live a life worthy of God, you grow in your knowledge of God. But hang on a minute, isn't that where we started? We started with knowledge of God, living a life worthy, and now we've already come back round in a circle to knowing God better. Yes, we have. It's a virtuous circle. It's a positive feedback loop. If you have a gut level knowledge of God and you put it into practical action, you will get a better knowledge of God. If you don't put it into practice, you will get a dimmer knowledge of God. It's one of the basic dynamics of the Christian life, and that's what we were trying to say to the kids earlier on. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. As you act in a Jesus-like way, following his commands, Jesus shows himself to you. Put it the other way around. If you're not putting your faith into practice, you will only ever have a thin theoretical knowledge of God. Third thing that happens when you're putting your, your faith into practice, uh, Paul says, you have the knowledge, you're putting it into practice, is that you'll be strengthened with all power. Again, that's another feedback loop. As you walk out in faith, you will gain more power to walk out your faith in practice. 
And Paul says you'll have endurance and you'll have impatience. They're fruit of the Spirit. Endurance is the power to live through tough times. Patience is the power to live with tough people. So there you go. There's, there's the diagram. Okay. You notice, notice how many leaders I've now, I've now PowerPointed it up. Okay, so you kind of like, um, they've got a hand-drawn one, hand one. But this is Paul's prayer. He's praying for all of this to happen. He's praying that you will have a, a gut-level knowledge of God's will. And that primarily comes through the Spirit acting upon the Word of God. So you come to the Scriptures, you hear the Scriptures preached, you read it for yourself, you reflect on it, you pray that God's Spirit will work on it, you have a knowledge of God's will. A gut-level knowledge uh, of God's will. You live a worthy life, and then all this fruit comes out. You bear fruit in good works. You grow in knowledge of God's will, and it goes around in a circle. You get strengthened, it goes around in a circle, and out of the side pops joy. Out of the side pops joy. So the response, the ultimate response to Paul's prayer is giving thanks back to God. And Paul goes into this amazing couple of verses about why as Christians you've got a lot to be thankful for. First thing, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the light. God has, listen to this, don't forget this. God has qualified you to share in the, the inheritance, the allotment is the literal word, of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You cannot qualify yourself before God. It's an entrance exam you could never pass. Jesus has taken the entrance exam for you. It's like trying to take a citizenship paper for another country. Uh, I'm told by those who know it's really difficult uh, one in this country, but imagine you wanted to go to another country and you need to take the citizenship test, but it's kind of like set at this amazing level of knowledge which you can, which you can never achieve. Jesus has taken the entrance exam to God's kingdom for you. He has qualified you. He has given you the certificates, Jonah's certificates, A-level certificates arrived this week. It's as if um, God says, I'll, I'll, I'll post you the certificate. It says you're qualified to, to be in my, in my kingdom. It comes to all who trust Christ. It comes free in the post, not literally. It comes free to all those who trust Christ. He's rescued you from the um, dominion of, of darkness. In at least two sentences, he's freed you from the fear of the after-death death penalty. So you no longer need to fear that when you die, you're going to face the second death. You're going to face the eternal death beyond death, which is the fate of those who've lived their life without trusting in Christ and being rescued from the dominion of darkness. And he's rescued you from the power of darkness. He has freed you from your addictive bad behaviours. Things that even you don't like and can't excuse in yourself. 
God has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and he has transferred you into his kingdom. So I think, I, I don't remember what the highest transfer fee is out there, but it gets ridiculous, doesn't it? They transfer fees for footballers, you know, 130 million um, to, to transfer a, a footballer from one team to another. God has transferred you into his kingdom at the price of his own son. What a valuable player you must be to him. What a valuable being you must be to the father if Jesus if he's prepared to pay the ransom fee, the transfer fee of the death of his own son. It's bought by Christ. We'll see more about this next week. This is redemption. Something's redeemed when the, uh, the, the price has been paid for it. Particularly slaves were bought back into freedom. This is redemption been bought out of slavery it's forgiveness forgiveness of sins it is the clearing of everything that stood between you and and, and knowing God personally what amazing reasons to be to be joyful amazing reasons to be joyful you've been qualified been rescued been transferred been redeemed you have been forgiven and it's all in Christ so do you feel like a second class Christian there are no second class Christians you've either trusted Christ or you haven't either look to what Jesus has done on the cross recognize that you were sinful and that you needed somebody to pay the price for you and you've trusted that that person was Christ and that is done on the cross or you haven't you're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. If you have Christ, you are qualified to know God personally. You have the Holy Spirit already. To have Christ is to have the Holy Spirit. To have the Holy Spirit is to, is to have Christ. It's shown by faith, hope and love. The only reason then, for feeling second class, that your relationship is, is dim, is that you're not walking it out. Not really putting it into practice. Hence Paul's prayer. And I want to clarify this point. So diagram three. Figure three. Um, it's not this. Here's you, here's other people. And you're loving other people because you want to be in God's good books. <clears throat> you're trying to be a good boy or you're trying to be a good girl because you're trying to. You're trying to earn your way into God's good book that never works so yes we're talking about good deeds we're talking about you behaving in a different way to other people but it's not this it's not trying to earn your way into God's good books it's this it's knowing that God has loved you has qualified you rescued you redeemed you transferred you and the measure of that love is, is shown by Christ that he's given his, the death of his son on the cross and out of that, you love others, but actually, even that is a gift. Even that is a work of God in you. He's communicating that love and his fathership to you by, by the Holy Spirit. And he's giving you the power and the impulse um, to love other people by his spirit working through you. So it's not the left-hand one. 
It's the right-hand one. But it's important. Because if there's no change in your movement towards other people, your knowledge of God is going to be thin because actually you're resisting the Holy Spirit. So there were no second clan Christians to kind of sum up. All you need to be a, a, a Christian is trust Christ. Trust Christ. As you're sacrificed, make Christ. Be ready to make Christ your Lord and then to walk like Jesus. If you're feeling like a second-class Christian, it's hard because you don't know him. Or you've turned the dimmer down by inaction. If you don't know him or you suspect you don't know him, loads of little booklets here called Knowing God Personally, pick one up, um, talk to me or the person who you came with uh, this morning. Or you are a Christian and you know that you're a Christian and you know that you've met with the Lord, but somewhere along the line you just got a bit lazy. Can I say that? Not really putting it into practice. And it's all got a bit thin. If you put your faith into practice, it spirals around into a greater knowledge of Christ and it spirals around into more strength for good deeds. What's stopping you? Let's pause and pray, and then we'll celebrate all those good reasons to be thankful in Christ. So let's pause for a minute. Where are you at? Where are you at? Feeling like a second-class Christian, feeling like that knowledge is a bit thin? Let's pray. Let's bring this to the Lord. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in, in all the earth. How can we even come before the one who, who made the universe and the stars and the rivers and, and the mountains are all yours, are all the, the works of your hands. How can we come to you this morning? Certainly not in our own righteousness and, and reputation. Just holding out our, our weakness to you. But knowing and seeing that Jesus' death is payment for my sin. Resurrection is proof that my sin has been cancelled. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been dealt with. It's done with. So grateful to you. You give us a redemption. You buy us out of slavery. We thank you. We have forgiveness. We can stand before you in Christ this morning, trusting Christ with the Holy Spirit indwelling us and bringing your presence to us and empowering us for service.
But Father God, we want to know you better and forgive us our inaction. We've come to Christ and held it for ourselves. Be like storing the manna overnight. And Lord, we pray now that you will set before us those good works that you prepared in advance for us to do. Help us see them, know them, even just little things on a daily basis which will spiral around. We pray it will work round into a greater knowledge of you, our Father, our Creator. And we pray that it will spiral around into action for greater and bigger things. Because we want to glorify your name. We want your name to be hallowed. Because we want your will to be done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.